We are currently on a 12-week series focusing on the book of 1 Corinthians. And the main reason for going through the book of 1 Corinthians is to use the spiritual principles found in this letter to help us navigate through possible challenges that we will face as a church in the post-pandemic era. And let me summarize some key points that you have learned thus far in the last two weeks of the series, because this week is the third week. We learned that Apostle Paul founded the first Corinthian, not first, the, the Corinthian house church. He founded the Corinthian house church, and this house church was based in a strategic city where trade and commerce were taking place bringing much wealth and prosperity to its population. And the very reason that brought the city much prosperity also brought with it cultural and societal values that were against God's values. And all of us know, right, that prosperity is double-edged. It brings a good standard of living, but it also brings everything that comes with the greed for more money. Vices and many other unwholesome activities came with trade and commerce into the city of Corinth. And because of its strategic location, many well-known Christian leaders would visit the city and speak to this house church that was founded by Paul. And as the believers were exposed to different teachers, they started comparing Paul with some of these visiting teachers. And we learned last week that different members started to take sides and have preferences over their favorite teachers. And the comparison among them started to morph into a more severe issue. And that is, they started to question Paul's authority over the house church. And so Paul had to address the issue of pride and pointed out their spiritual immaturity that caused disunity in the house church. So with this recap, let me now move on to the sermon title for this week, which is Confused, Leading, or Misleading. And the big idea for today is this, God wants us to exhibit servant leadership. God wants all of us to exhibit servant leadership. And I'll be covering the content from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. And let's begin by looking at the content of the issue in these two chapters right now. And, and the issue or the problem for today is found in chapter 4, verse 1. And let me read to you right now. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with, me, it, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am aware of anything. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. 
then each one will receive his commendation from God. So the problem is that some believers in the house church judge Paul and compare him with other more charismatic teachers like Apollos and Peter. And as they compare Paul with other teachers, some began to put down Paul's ministry as he was not eloquent in his presentation and physically not impressive at all. And some began to judge Paul's ministry and sided with other teachers by not honouring Paul's apostolic ministry in founding the house church. Paul had to write to defend himself by saying that first and foremost, he said in chapter 4 verse 1 that he was a servant of Christ. Now say with me right now, servant. On the chair, type servant right now. And as he was Christ's appointed servant, Paul wrote that no one had the right to judge him except Christ alone. Chapter 4, verse 4. And Paul instructed the believers not to pronounce judgment on him too soon as the Lord's second coming would further expose the true intent of the heart. You see, Paul was very skillful. He was very skillful in informing the believers that on judgment day, he said not only would his heart be seen before the Lord, but the hearts of everyone who dishonour him would also be exposed. So with this instruction, Paul then went on to highlight the attitude of the Corinthian towards him in the following verses. In verse 8, it says this. Paul said this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. And without us, you have become kings. And with that, and with that, and with that, you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hunger and thirst. We are poorly who are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labour, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slender, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. You see, in this passage, Paul used many descriptors to describe the lofty attitude of the believers there how blessed they were, how strong and rich they have become. But while sarcastically praising them for their strengths, Paul intentionally lowered himself to be the scum and the refuse of the earth. And Paul wrote these statements to contrast their prideful posture with his humility. And that's why in verse 14 he said this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So Paul masterfully changed his approach from sarcasm to appealing to them as a spiritual father who brought them to Christ. Paul reminded them that he might not be like the impressive and the eloquent visiting teachers, but Paul told them he was still their spiritual father. And as their spiritual father, he urged them to imitate him in his humility and posture before the Lord. So let me at this point sum up the real issue found in chapter 4. And the issue is that Paul was negatively judged when compared to other more impressive and gifted teachers. Now, please note that Paul was not jealous of the other teachers, such as Apollos or Peter. He wasn't. The problem was not with Paul, was not with the teachers, but with the spiritual immaturity of the believers in Corinth in comparing Paul with these teachers. It was their spiritual immaturity that led the church to become like spiritual infants. They were arrogant and disunited. And as I examined this passage, I realized that Paul's struggle with the Corinthian church is still very real today. In a success-driven country of Singapore, many want to be the best of the best and to stand out from the rest, isn't it? And the comparison with one teacher against another is also taking place. And maybe even more so with the use of digital media platforms such as YouTube and Vimeo. And many of you know that out of the pandemic, churches and anointed teachers have uploaded their content onto social media platforms. And many are well-known pastors and impressive teachers. And some have online audience in the hundreds of thousands. And the competition for audience is no longer within the tiny island of Singapore, but with very anointed native English speakers from Australia, America, and United Kingdom. And all of them are readily accessible through a click of a few buttons, isn't it? And throughout the last two years, I have received many video links where my family members and friends, are, they're sent to me because they were so blessed through these captivating teachers. And I have also tuned in to listen to some of these excellent communicators. And frankly, church, listening to some of them can cause a lot of stress, anxiety, and even depression for me if I were to compare myself with them. Really. Because some of them are so humorous, they are so funny, so good with their words, and they are so mesmerizing in their testimonies. And if believers begin to compare local church pastors with these native speakers, how can we match up all? How? I mean, just take their sermon illustration just for comparison, right? Some of these 
speakers, they, they live in the West where they experience four seasons of spring, summer, autumn and winter every year. They can talk about the four season experiences. They are so enriching, isn't it? For us, local church pastors in Singapore, it's so boring, right? Because all we can talk about all year round is about the hot and hotter weather. Or maybe, maybe the rainfall that causes major ponding once every 50 years. So what's so exciting about the heat and the water ponding in our sermon illustration when it happens so frequently now? You know, some of my pastor friends from the West who have very exciting hobbies that they can share, such as snowboarding, skydiving, mountain climbing, to add to their rich sermon illustrations. But for local church pastors in Singapore, we can only enjoy such activities when we have the financial resource to travel overseas and have time to participate in them. So what am I saying? What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that local church pastors in Singapore cannot compete with many of these popular and famous teachers. But more importantly, we are not called to compete with these big names. We are not. I cannot stop anyone from comparing and judging the local pastors preaching here in Grace Assembly with other well-known pastors. But there is something that these well-known teachers and famous preachers cannot do, which Paul so aptly wrote in verses 15 and 16, where Paul said this, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then, be imitators of me. Yes, the local church pastors cannot be as good as, those, as these native speakers, but these famous and well-known teachers cannot be with you in person while you walk through your life's journey. They cannot be there to pray with you in person. They cannot be there to conduct the funeral of your loved ones. They cannot be there to hold your hands when you need a human touch. They can't be there to dedicate your baby. Pray with your children when they are unwell or when facing life challenges like PSLE. They can't be there to celebrate your victory and cry with you over your loss. Yes, our sermon illustration may be boring, but hey, we know you by name. And we walk with you in your life journey. You can have many Christian teachers and guides online, but you do not have many spiritual parents who will walk with you by your side. And as one of your local spiritual leaders today, I can say to you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I can say that because you can see my life, how I lead my family, how I raise my children, where there is proximity to know my character over time. And all these cannot be replaced by someone you see on a screen or someone who comes and goes and does not stay long enough 
to know you, know your family, know your children, or to be known by you. And in Grace Assembly too, we don't intend to compete with anyone. But hey, we are here to serve and to journey with you as servants called by Christ. Can somebody say amen? And that's the same approach that Paul used when providing the gospel solution to what's happening in the Corinthian church. Instead of competing with all the well-known and impressive teachers to have more followers, he zooms in on the right response that believers should have when it comes to serving God. And what's the solution? And it's found in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, where Paul says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Why? Because only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, doing the same thing. They are servants, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. What a powerful reframe by Paul. In the environment where one would choose to follow the eloquent Apollos or the most charismatic Peter, Paul reframed the situation by reminding the believers that they were all servants of Christ. The focus should not be on the person who planted or who watered the field. The focus must be on God who caused the growth. Can someone say amen? God called these servants, set them in place, and used them to plant and water. And the problem with the Corinthian believers was that they focused on the external gifts that God gave to these servants. But in recognizing human talents, the believers missed the bigger picture of placing God at the center of the church life. They forgot that Christ was the foundation of the church and that God brought everything together through His human servants. Their focus shifted from God to human talents. And Paul had to reframe their thinking and shift them back to kingdom perspective. Paul, Peter, and Apollos, they were vital pillars of the early church. But they were still servants of Christ, called to serve God's purpose. So tell neighbor on your left and right, tell neighbor, say, servants. Those of you online, type on the chat, servants. Now, with the recent great vaccination taking place in most industries, I'm sure many of you will appreciate having good talents, isn't it, in your company. And it's very difficult to find impressive talents with good character and skillful hands. The hunt for good talents dries up the cost by at least 20 to 30% as companies try to retain and to attract them. And we expect these talents to provide strong leadership and to produce good outcomes when we pay so much for them. And because of what's happening in the world today, it is very natural to bring the same set of lenses and expectations from the marketplace into the church. But my question is this, 
Can we treat church ministries the same as our marketplace business? Can we? Are they the same? And let's examine two aspects of this question right now from Paul's exhortation. And the first aspect that I want to address right now from Paul's exhortation is that of servanthood. Servanthood. Now, Paul wrote that no matter how charismatic and impressive a minister was, he was still a servant of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 5. Now, what comes to your mind, church, when I mention the word servant? Well, a servant connotes the idea of one who is humble and ready to do any hard manual labor when required, isn't it? And Paul used the imagery of a servant to refer to the spiritual giants like Peter, Apollos, and himself. Were they not leaders and pillars in the early church? Yes, they were. Very important pillars. But yet in all their achievements and leadership positions, they were still servants. You know, one of the challenges we face in the church world today is the confusion about the term servant leadership. Now, many of us are familiar with servant leadership, popularized by Robert Greenleaf's seminal work in 1970. When we see the term servant leadership, when you see this term servant leadership, these two words, do you see servant as the main emphasis or do you see leadership as the focus? You see, when you see leadership as a main emphasis, the tendency is to major on the leadership ability. What one can bring, what one can do, what one can achieve for the organization. But when you see servant as the main focus, then the emphasis is on the posture and attitude, isn't it? In the church world today, I have often seen the tension in balancing attitude and ability when people serve and volunteer in the ministry. Now, in many, many places that I've been to before, but not in Grace Assembly, okay? Not in Grace Assembly. In many places I've been to, talk to different pastors, we see very competent people serving, but they may not carry the heart of a servant. And when things don't go their way, they will get nasty and offensive and people will get hurt and wounded as a result, right? And if you have worked with very strong and competent leaders before, you will understand that they are highly driven, highly motivated when they are in control. And they must be in control. And the reverse is true as well. In some ministries, not in Grace Assembly, we see people with great hearts to serve, but lacking the required competency, right? And they have good character, but lack the competence to do the work required in the ministry. And after a while, you see that things don't get done properly, and the team gets frustrated with the quality of work. And over time, the team, the team leaves, they, they, they live with a low quality of work because they want to exercise high Christian conduct of grace and love for each other. And a negative consequence is that competent people will not join and stay in the team when they see low quality of work that does not show excellence in serving God. So that's the tension among us, isn't it? So, so what is the kingdom perspective then on serving? 
Well, from Paul's writing, you can see how he balanced character with competence. When he wrote that Peter, Apollos, and himself were servants, he first defined their identity. Say with me, identity. Paul defined their status and who they were in Christ. They were servants. That's who they were, servants. Their status and identity would then set their posture and their character. It was out of their servant status, their servanthood posture that God would use their competence for planting, for watering the field in chapter 3, verse 6. And church, we need both qualities to serve God's purpose and agenda. We need both character and competence. And so in summary of servanthood, we must always begin with the character of a servant in any ministry that we serve. And when that is sent right in our hearts, God will use our competence for His kingdom purpose. You see, church, the character of a servant is critical before we avail our competence to serve Christ. Can somebody say amen? So tell our neighbor one more time on your left and right. Tell our neighbor, character and competence. On the chat, can you type right now, character and competence. So with this, let me move to the second aspect of the difference between the marketplace and the church ministry. The second aspect is that of outcome. And for many of you who are in the marketplace, you know, right, we measure the outcome of our business with a bottom line of profit, with loss or maybe break even. The balance sheet will tell it all, isn't it? Every business wants to make a profit and not suffer long-term losses. And if you're consistently making a loss, you will examine your business model and its sustainability over time. And the bottom line outcome is important for any business to survive. Paul also wrote about the outcome of the ministry, but highlighted a major difference. He says in verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God determines the outcome of any ministry. It is God who gives the growth. You see, our human role in any spiritual ministry is to plant, is to water daily, consistently. At the end of the day, because of its spiritual nature, God determines the outcome of any ministry. We cannot strictly use our marketplace bottom line approach to measure the outcome of a ministry because I know of believers who have stopped serving God because they use their marketplace standard on themselves to measure their effectiveness in the ministry. Some are very successful in the marketplace, but they don't see a similar outcome in their ministries in the church. And that has affected them, affected them negatively because they don't experience the same success in the church ministry versus what they are doing in the marketplace. And like the Corinthian church, we may have carried the same worldly wisdom into the spiritual work of God. You see, folks, our role in any ministry is to keep sowing, keep planting, and keep watering, isn't it? And we let God determine the growth and the harvest. 
if we can determine the outcome so easily in any ministry, my friend, then we don't need God. But precisely because ministry is spiritual, we must be faithful. Faithful in doing what God has called us and let Him determine the timing of the harvest. We need God to be in the equation and let Him determine the outcome, the result. Some of us have, have given up serving the Lord because we carry a wrong understanding of ministry. Some of us feel like failure when compared with our success in our marketplace. But my friend, the issue is not about you. The issue is about God. Can you be servant enough to let God determine the eventual outcome? Let me say that one more time. Can you be servant enough to let God determine the eventual outcome? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because some of us, we need to let this truth sink in to set us free again to serve God. You see, it's, it's my worth based on what I can deliver to God? Does God need you to prove your worth to Him when He has already forgiven you, loved you, and accepted you as His very own? You see, church, our worth must be based on being God's chosen servant. And our attitude is to be faithful, faithful to what He has assigned us in using our competence to plant and to water. I pray that we learn from the mystics of the Corinthian church and not bring worldly values and standards into our ministry and relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In closing, God has called us to be His servant leader. Our identity is first that of a servant of Christ. May we not forget that. We are first a servant of Christ. And through the servant identity, we then use and we then avail our competence, our leadership to serve God's agenda in planting and in watering His field. And then we let God determine the outcome. With that, let's close in prayer. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that shows us very clearly the true meaning of a servant leader. You call us first to be a servant. A servant and servant we need to be before you can use our competence to serve your people, serve your purpose on earth. Thank you for this powerful truth today. Hallelujah. With every head bow, every eye closed, I want to allow different ones of us to respond to God's word this morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken to many of you and one of the areas is, is for some of you here to have the heart and the identity of a servant. You see, church, God is not looking for someone with a title, but someone with a heart. The heart of a servant. And whether you are serving in the church or in the marketplace, I believe God is looking for true servants that He can use to establish His purpose and to carry His heart, His purpose and heart inside the church and also in the marketplace. And today you say, God, 
I want to be your servant, to be your hands and feet, to do what you have assigned me in the church and also in the marketplace. And you're willing to be that servant that God can use. I want you right now, wherever you are, to lift your hands to God right now in a response to His word. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Many hands. Thank you. That's right. Thank you. It begins with saying, God, I want to have the heart of a servant to serve you. Thank you. Many hands. That's right. Lift your hands to Him and say, God, here am I. I see the hands in the, in the gallery as well. I see the hands. Thank you. Because God is speaking to some of you here right now. It begins with the heart. Don't lose that. Some of you here, you may feel discouraged in serving the Lord. And today, you want to align your heart to allow God to be God in your ministry. You want to focus on God and, and let Him determine the final outcome of your ministry. If that's you, I want you to lift, the hands, lift your hands to Him as well. I say, God, I let you determine the outcome. God, may I not lose sight of that. I let you determine the outcome. If that's you, lift your hands all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. That's right. Thank you. Many hands. Don't forget that, my friend. Let God determine the outcome. Because God is speaking to different ones of you here right now. I sense God moving among us and He's saying to some of you, let Him determine the outcome. And because Paul said it very clearly, Paul said, he said, I planted Apollos, watered, but God gave the growth. Church, in this one statement, we can see that some things in life only God can do because He is the true source of life. And if you're here today, you have areas in your life that need God to intervene, to bring life because it is beyond human ability to do anything. It can be a sickness, it can be a crisis that has no solution and you need God to bring life and breakthrough into your situation. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands all over this place and say, God, that's me. God, I need you to intervene. I need your power. That's right, thank you. Many hands, many hands. That's right, many hands. I need your power today, God, to intervene in my situation. If that's you, lift your hands right now. And say, God, I lift my hands. It's a sign of faith to say, God, I need you to intervene in my situation. Thank you, many hands. Thank you. Church all over this place, would you stand with me right now? Would you stand with me? And I will give different ones of us an opportunity to respond to God's word today. But more importantly, as, as your local church leaders, we want to pray with you. We want to journey with you. And we want to allow you to come and respond to the Lord and find a place where we can pray with you, where we can believe with you for breakthrough, for God's intervention, and for God to set your heart right. If God has spoken to you today, I want to open the altars for you to come. And this is where as local leaders, we make a difference in your life to pray for you to journey with you and to say, God, may you intervene in this life. So I want to open the altars right now. Would you come if you need prayer? Come right now quickly. Bring those areas of need to the Lord right now as I open the altars for prayer. If you need to come, you come. As a team leads us right now. Hallelujah. So here I am, take me. this place with your prayer if you raise your hands you come right now we want to pray with you we want to journey with you and ask for God's power to listen to you if you pray you come right now if you raise your hands you come the spiritual leaders are here we want to pray with you journey with you hallelujah